through 13. Let's now hear the word of God. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains everything we need for faith and life. The grass withers and the flower fades. But thanks be to God that his word abides forever. Let us once again pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you again and again for your holy and inspired word. It contains all, everything that we need for faith and for godliness. And please, we embrace with faith the Lord Jesus Christ, the member of the triune God. But please, we have many unbeliefs within our hearts Make us believe more and more. Make us believe like the centurion believed. And Jesus marveled at that faith. Please help us resemble His faith and so walk in obedience to the Lord. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. There's a show that comes on the History, the History Channel called Modern Marvels. It focuses on technological advances and how they impact our lives today. It shows the intricacies of the things that we take for granted, like electricity, and shows us how marvelous those things that we see all around us are. It is a quite profound show. However, if Jesus were to again step into the present century in the flesh, in bodily form, he would not marvel at these things at all. He would not be impressed by our technological advancements. But there is one thing that we know with certainty he would marvel at. The faith like the centurion. 
faith like this centurion. In Scripture, there are many times when people are amazed at what they see, when they marvel at what they see in the life and teaching of Jesus. But only one time in the four Gospels does, is Jesus said to be amazed or to marvel. And this is that passage. When Jesus sees the faith of this centurion, he is amazed at what he finds. And he says, not even in Israel have I found such faith as this. It is truly amazing. It is marvelous indeed. I would like for him to be amazed at my faith. And I would also wish that he would marvel at your faith as well. That is the reason why we are looking at this passage today. To be able to tell what this faith was of the centurion. The faith that left Jesus amazed. So let us turn to the doctrine of the text, which is this. The centurion's faith reveals that Jesus is compassionate and his word is powerful. And demonstrates his sovereignty is universal. I'll repeat that. The centurion's faith reveals that Jesus is compassionate. And his power, excuse me, his word is powerful. And demonstrates his sovereignty is universal. Under the exposition, I would like uh, you all to see the centurion's faith. Second, Jesus' confirmation of the centurion's faith. And Jesus' condemns the unbelieving Jews. So let's begin with the centurion's faith. Last week we examined Jesus' healing of the leper and we found that not only uh, that it not only revealed things about Jesus, but it also showed us what true saving faith contained. We saw that the leper, the leper's faith concerned the mercy of Jesus the desire of Jesus to make him well, and the divinity of Jesus. Now today, we see similar, similar elements in this centurion's faith. We see, first, the persuasion that Jesus is merciful. This centurion comes to him. Rather, we find in Luke's gospel that he sends someone else to speak on his behalf. And he pleads through them, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. This centurion resorts to pleading. Now, this is an interesting thought, isn't it? This man is a Roman centurion. He has authority. A centurion had the command of a hundred soldiers. He had at his disposal 100 soldiers. He was something like the chief of police at the time. He was responsible to exact discipline on those acting out of line. He clearly had a place of prestige and position and and money indicated by the presence of slaves. Yet he comes to Jesus as a humble beggar. A humble beggar pleading for mercy. This is insightful. Jesus 
does not save by the presence of money or power or prestige. Jesus doesn't care about your money or your power or your prestige. He doesn't heal this man because he has any of those things. He heals by humble pleading for mercy. Pleading for Jesus' undeserved mercy. In Luke 7, we get more elaboration on this. Verse 3 says, chapter 7, verse 3 says, When the centurion heard about this, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is He is the one who built us our synagogue. The Jews make much of his worthiness. These are elders of the Jews. And they should have known better than to request uh, that he was worthy of the healing mercies of Christ. No one is ever worthy enough. The mercy and grace of God cannot be deserved. We do not deserve anything from Jesus. Whether whether or not we love this nation or have built this church or anything, we are not worthy of Him to come heal us and save us. Jerry Bilks said this, This kind of reasoning comes straight from the covenant of works. The principle which we gravitate by which we gravitate even God's people can lapse into thinking in terms of the covenant of works we can definitely infer however that the centurion did not think of himself as worthy this man shows us the proper posture of all those who come to Jesus by faith in fact we learn he was such a low he had such a low view of him, of himself That when Jesus responds in the most compassionate way, I will come heal him, the centurion replies, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. I am not worthy. You are too great to enter my house. Why should you stoop to come into my house? Instead, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. This is the proper posture of a true believer. Nothing in my hand I bring. We just sang this. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is the posture of a marvelous or an amazing faith. Do you have such faith as this? Do you trust Jesus to be merciful? Do you believe Him to be merciful and yourself to be unworthy of any good thing yet confident of His readiness to show mercy to you? That is the sort of faith that astounds Jesus. 
to boot, Jesus cannot come into the, the, the house of a Gentile or else he would be defiling himself with an unclean Gentile. But that is not really the point. Jesus is not concerned about being unclean. He was not concerned about touching the leper, nor is he fearful of being unclean in a Gentile's house. But it is far more important for him to indicate that he has the authority to heal from afar. To heal with just a word from more than a mile away. He heals the centurion's servant with a mere word. And this is the second point which is under this heading, Jesus' authority. Jesus' authority. Like the leper, the centurion not only believes that Jesus is merciful, but he also believes him to be able to do what he requests. He believes Jesus is able to do that which is impossible, humanly speaking. However, Jesus is more than a man. He comes and seeks uh, Jesus to heal his servant, a servant who, obvious, who he obviously cares for very deeply. In a twist of fates, although he has a hundred soldiers at his disposal, the centurion pleads for his servant, who is suffering terribly, pleads for a slave, and furthermore, a slave boy. He had an a mere boy that he had an uncommon affection for. And he is undergoing paralysis as a result of this sickness. In verse 8 and 9, he acknowledges some extraordinary things about Jesus. Let us read that together. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man of authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Notice what he acknowledges about Jesus here. First, that his authority is universal. His authority is universal. The centurion is a man under authority, and he speaks as as a man with authority. But he knows his limits and he knows the lengths of his authority and right to rule. But he describes something remarkably different about Jesus. He acknowledges his universal authority. He can speak a mere word and his servant is sure to obey. Dr. Poitras says this, by that authority... He could exert the power of the kingdom of God over the centurion's servant far from his earthly location at Capernaum. He bears universal authority. Jesus speaks a word and the servant will listen. Further, this affirms that he has authority over all nations. Over all nations. The centurion is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. A Roman Gentile, no less. However, Jesus is a Jew. And he came in the first place in order to demonstrate God's plan to save the Jews. But this centurion makes clear that Jesus didn't just come to the Jews. 
Therefore, his authority is not limited to simply Jews, but to all humanity. And notice, Jesus is not hindered from going to this Gentile. He is not just the King of the Jews. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And His kingdom belongs to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Because His sovereignty and authority extends to all people. The centurion gets that. He says, just say the word and this Gentile servant will be healed. In a Gentile's home, he will be healed. This would have shocked many of the Jews who were standing by. But he reminds us that there is no lack of authority in Jesus. We have one more point to note under this heading. His authority extends to all geographical boundaries. Jesus' authority does not begin and end where Jesus is at this moment physically. He acknowledged that Jesus has the power and ability to speak the word and heal his servant who may be at least a mile away. His authority, power, and ability are not limited by space and time. Now, this is particularly important for us. We all recognize very clearly that Jesus, physically speaking, is not here with us. Jesus has a body, and he is like the rest of us, confined to one place at one time. So when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he physically left this world, and he is physically away from the world today. Why do you and I have any hope that Jesus can help us? He is a man that lived 2,000 years ago whom we have never seen in the flesh. How can he possibly help us? Because he is more than a man and has the power and authority that extends far beyond the place where he presently dwells in the flesh. He can change us from a distance He has authority to break in upon us and work in and with and for us because He is spiritually present with us today. He need only speak the Word and His will is performed. Truly, Jesus is spiritually present. And as He says in the Great Commission, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that is why you can hope that He can help you. You can hope that He will help you in your time of need because He is spiritually present with you. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, He comes and dwells with you. And He, and he aspires to do His will through you. Vern Poitras again notes this. Consequently, the further development of the growth of the kingdom through Jesus' death and resurrection expresses the same principle. Jesus' death and resurrection have the power to change people who are distant from Jerusalem and space and to change and to change people who are also distant in time throughout all generations. The faith that calls Jesus to marvel 
that is so rare is one that acknowledges and firmly believes Jesus' universal power and authority that extends over all people and all space and time. Do you have such faith as this? Do you have such faith as this? These words capture another thing that Jesus' words, that Jesus' word is potent. Jesus' word is potent. He says, Only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Essentially, he says, Your word carries such power that you have only to speak and it will be accomplished. This cannot help but remind us of the God who created all the universe with a mere word. John 1 tells us that Jesus was the mediation of the creation and was the divine logos, the divine word whom in time assumed the body of a man. Yet he did not cast away any of his divinity. When he assumed a physical body, he retained all of his divinity so that we can truly speak of a divine man. He is the word through whom the world came into being. And as the word, his own word has divine power. You will remember the scene in in John chapter 6. Jesus had begun teaching some very difficult sayings. They were so difficult that the masses, those who numbered well over 5,000, by and large left, so that only a few disciples remained. The crowd said, these things are too hard for us. And Jesus subsequently asked the disciples, why have you not left along with with, uh, them also? And Peter responds, So many times he makes a blunder of things, but he responds correctly in this point. Where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. You alone have the words of life. The words that give life. The words that shape life. The words that define life and make it worth living. Jesus alone has the words of life. And His words are powerful. Where else would we go? Jesus' word is powerful. It is potent. And those who truly know Him know that such is true. That brings us to our second heading. Jesus' confirmation of the centurion's faith. Jesus confirmed that this man was correct to believe in Him. Jesus is divine. Jesus is merciful. Jesus' Word is potent and has the authority that extends to all people and to all places. And such faith has astounded Jesus. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. However, the second point, Jesus assures, excuse me, Jesus confirms that the centurion's faith is well-placed. Jesus assures that the centurion's faith is well-founded. 
Jesus confirms all these things that this centurion affirms and says in verse 13, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. By doing what the centurion pleaded for, Jesus confirms that all he said about him was true. That Jesus was indeed merciful. That Jesus had universal authority that extended to all nations and all geographical boundaries and and that he had only to speak and the servant would be healed by his omnipotent word. And thus, the the paralysis was immediately healed. We have spoken more about the centurion's faith. However, he was asking in the place of his servant whom he loved dearly and he was suffering terribly. Jesus did not hesitate. As he said in verse 7, I will come and heal him. But the centurion resisted and said, do not come into my house. Into my house. Just speak the words and he will be healed. And so Jesus confirms this by healing the paralysis of his servant, his boy servant, immediately. That means that the suffering and agonizing was gone in an instant. His paralysis was gone. And arms and legs were restored to the natural function. He began acting as if he was perfectly normal Can you imagine what that must have felt like previously, for for the servant previously? You you were agonizing terribly in your paralysis. But in an instant, God healed. Jesus healed. You You were fully restored to a God given function. Formerly, you were paralyzed. But now, in an instant, you were restored. Can you imagine what that felt like? The last heading that we need to speak of is this. Jesus' rebuke of the unbelieving Jews. He already rebuked the unbelieving Jews when he said these words, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. That was a rebuke, excuse me, a rebuke of the covenant people of God. Make no mistake about it. But he goes on to describe heaven and hell. But for the sake of time, we will uh, take verses 10 to 12 the next time I preach. But realize that this is a a rebuke of God's covenant people. The sons of the kingdom, he says in in, uh, this verse. The sons of the kingdom will be cast out. This is a rebuke of God's chosen people. Jesus says. So now we move to our applications. 
And I, in the applications, I have three questions for you. Would Jesus marvel at your faith? Would Jesus marvel at my faith? That's the million dollar question. What might Jesus say if He came here in the flesh? Would He marvel at our faith? Or would He marvel at our belief? Or would He marvel that He can't even find such faith as those amongst the covenant community? Would He find no one who truly believes in the power of His Word? Would He find no one who really and truly believes His divine and, and able and merciful? If Jesus came here, would, why would He marvel? Would He marvel at our faith or our unbelief? That, as I said, is the million dollar question. Would He marvel at our faith or unbelief? Second, do you rely on church membership to make you worthy of salvation? In Luke 7, as I said before, the Jews said, He is worthy to have you do this for Him because He loves your people and He built the synagogue and an ancient church. Do you rely on church membership to save you? Or do you rely on having, or do you rely on having constructed this church or any other church? Then your faith is in vain. Church membership is essential. Don't hear me wrong. Church membership is essential. The church is the only institution where you will receive the means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament. But you cannot rely on the church to save you. Only Jesus can save you. You must believe and rely on on only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to bring you salvation. God is the author of salvation. God the Son is the accomplisher of salvation. And God the Holy Spirit is the applier of this salvation. So let, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, let the man who boasts boast in the Lord. I only wish to warn you that if you cling to church membership to save you, you will sadly be disappointed. Only Christ can save you. Furthermore, the last question that I'll ask, do you rely on the suffering servant to save you? The centurion came to Jesus through his representatives and said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. However, there is another servant in this passage who suffered terribly. His name is Jesus. He suffered terribly under the infinite wrath of Almighty God so that He can heal you and save you from sin. If you don't believe in Christ Jesus, you are hopelessly and sadly mistaken But if you embrace Jesus Christ with the arms of faith, He will save you. He who suffered for you terribly so that uh, to give you that hope, the suffering servant will, in fact, 
save you. However, he is not suffering any longer. He is exonerated. He is the exonerated master of the universe who has ascended to the right hand of God the Father and is there ruling and defending his church. Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will not be put to shame. Indeed, that is so. This is the centurion's staggering and amazing faith. Would Jesus be amazed by your faith? That confirms Jesus is indeed merciful and Jesus has authority and that Jesus' words are potent and His sovereign right to rule is universal. If you embrace Jesus and believe that, Jesus will marvel at your faith. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we wish that You would enable us to state our faith amazingly. Or rather, we long for You to produce in us an amazing faith. A faith that would astound Jesus. A faith that would cause Jesus to marvel and to say, truly, I have not found this sort of faith in any of the covenant community. That we would all have this faith and so cling to Christ, the suffering servant, but who is now ascended on high. And we know that He is with us. The triune God is with us this day. And we ask that You would bless us with this faith. For we ask ask it only in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.